Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea, the 14th chapter. This is the last chapter in Hosea, and it will be our last lesson in this book. Then we'll continue and we'll start with the next book, which is Joel, Minor Prophets. Hosea chapter 14. <clears throat> I'd like to go ahead and expound the chapter. It's a very short one, nine verses. But then on the other hand, come back after we get through with that and give you an overall look at some things that we found in the book of Hosea uh, as we have progressed through it. Some very important points that have to do with various verses of various chapters. But tonight, first of all, we start with uh, chapter 14, verse 1. And the Lord said, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, or Hosea is saying in God's name, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord, say unto him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. That would be uh, praise and thanksgiving. And let's read verse 3 as well before we expound. It says, Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. <clears throat> Neither will we say any more to, to the work of our hands, Ye are our gods. For in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. So those three verses would be the first section of our dealing with this uh, chapter. The whole chapter has to do, you might want to title the chapter, The Return and Glorious Redemption. The Return and the Glorious Redemption. And verses 1 through 3 is the exhortation to return. We've just read it where God exhorts them to return. And the manner of their returning will be, it's what we'll start talking about now. There are four main points in the manner of their returning. So let's look at verse 1. It says, O Israel, return under the Lord. The first part is to return, actually repent of their sins. And uh, it involves repentance. And it re- involves confession. And so we fi- if you want to put down some words, put down return, repent, confess. And then we'll give you the fourth point of these three verses in just a moment. But that's the main thing. Return, repent, and confess. So when God calls upon Israel to return, He says, Return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. He wants them to realize why. They need to return. They'd fallen into sin. They'd fallen away from God. They'd fallen into idolatry. And they'd fallen into the results or the things that sin brings about. And we go back and we've read in the whole book of Hosea how that they suffered for what they had done. So that was a fall. That is a fall when we're away from God. And Israel was. Thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. And then he tells them, to repent and confess in verse 2. And in this way, he says, take with you words and turn to the Lord. In other words, he wants words of confession. And God, whatever he asks of us, he gives it. You know, some folks say, well, I can't repent. I don't know what to say. Well, God will tell you what to say even. He'll give you the words. And right here, he gives them directly what words he wants them to say. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him. See, God gives them the words that they should say in confession. Say unto them, unto Him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously, so will we render the calves of our lips. In other words, if you'll take away our sins and receive us by Your grace, then we will praise You for it. 
Isn't that the way salvation is for individuals today? They come to the Lord. God says, you know, you might say, well, what does God want me to say? He wants me to say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, forgive me of my sins. He, all through the New Testament, we have indications as, as to what we're to say to God. The illustration of the prodigal son is one of the best I know. He'd gone away from the father's house, was in the far country. <clears throat> and if you'll remember that he had spent all of his inheritance with riotous living. And finally, when he ran out of money, he was sending one of the people of that land and one of the men of that country hired him to feed the hogs. And he said, in my father's house, there's bread and enough to spare and I perish with hunger. It says he would have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave him to him. All of his friends were gone after that. Isn't it a sad thing that they're fair weather friends and that when you've got uh, things going for you, well, you've got all the friends in the world. And when you're down and out, well, no one wants to help you. But if you find people that stick by you through thick and thin, they're a real friend, friend, aren't they? They're a real friend. If they'll be with you when you need them. And that's the kind of friends we have here in this church. And that's the kind of friends I like. I've never had anyone in this church to not stand with me in the time of trouble here that's here tonight. You've stood with me, and I thank God for you, because I believe that is real friendship. But this prodigal, he found no one. No man gave him to him. And what did the prodigal say? He said, I perish with hunger. And it says, when he came to himself, he said, I will arise, now listen, and go to my father, and I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And that's what he determined to do. Now, there's a lot of people that make up their minds of what they're going to do and what they're going to say, but they don't do it. But the Bible continues to say, and he arose and came to his father. And while he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell upon his neck and kissed him. And what did he say? said to his servant, well, the son was going to make his long story of repentance. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against thee, and that's as far as he got. He was going to say, I'm not worthy to be thy son. But the father interrupted him. That was enough. And he told his servant to bring forth the best robe, bring shoes put on his feet, uh, put a ring on his hand. The best robe is a robe of righteousness. Shoes on his feet was respectability. The ring on his hand was a sign of authority. Remember the signet ring with which they sealed things with authority and what was sealed with a king's ring. No man could reverse or alter in any fashion. So he restored him to respectability, to sonship, to authority. And then he said to the servants, you bring forth a fatted calf and kill it. And let's make a feast. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And it says, and they began to be merry. It's only the beginning when we come to the Lord in repentance and faith. It's only the beginning of our blessings. One point in that story I always liked, and that is <clears throat> this thought, when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. He must have been looking for him with, with anticipation and anxiety for this lost son to return. And when you think of God our Father, when we were yet a great way off. In fact, I have a message on that. When we were yet a great way off, the Father saw us. He saw us in the council halls of eternity when we, before we had ever sinned, and He knew what was going to happen. He knew that mankind would need a Savior. When we were a great way off, He saw us, and He made plans and provision and counsel for our redemption before we had ever sinned. 
Because the Bible tells us that Christ was a lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. And so we can see that our concern, the Father's concern for us, has always been. We can be thankful that our salvation was no afterthought with God. He thought of it beforehand. And then in due time, when the time came, He sent forth His Son. In fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. And Jesus died on the cross and fulfilled that which was count, uh, provided in the council halls of eternity. And therefore, you and I now can come with words of confession and say, Be gracious unto us and receive us. And then we'll render the calves of our lips or the, our thanks. That's why we, on Sunday mornings, remember our little Sunday school song, we sing, Thank You, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank You, Lord, for making me whole. Where would you be without Jesus today? Where would you be in this world? Where would you be in your heart? Where would you be as far as uh, life itself is concerned? There are many people without the Lord, and our compassion should go out to them and do what we can to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But back to the story here in Hosea. Hold your place where we're studying. Notice it says in verse 2, Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto Him. See, they're giving the words. Take away all iniquity. And by the way, all of our sins are gone when we receive Christ. Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. The Bible says, As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. So will we render the calves of our lips. And if we don't give God... Thanks for our salvation. We're a very miserable and ungrateful person, aren't we? Now, verse 4, I mean, verse 3 tells us, we've seen in these two verses, before we get to verse 3, let me uh, give you three points. Return, repent, and confess. Return, repent, and confess. And then verse 3 tells us the fourth thing about this particular section of these three verses, that there's no salvation apart from the Lord. It says, Asher shall not save us. We will not ride uh, upon horses. Remember, he said, go not down to Egypt for help because, uh, and ride on horses because uh, instead of trusting in the Lord. That's Isaiah 31 verse 1 if you want it. It says, uh, neither will we say any more to the work of our hands, ye are our gods. We're going to leave our idolatry behind. <clears throat> and then it says, for in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. Well, surely if the fatherless findeth mercy, and they had this uh, impression of God with this kind of repentance, they would know that they would be received. God made it a law back in the book of Exodus, and you read it in Deuteronomy as well, about His care for the, the fatherless, the, the widows and the orphans. Look in Exodus 22, I believe, it's easy one to remember, Exodus 22.22. 22.22. It says, Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. God says He will not put up with anyone being uh, harsh or indifferent to the fatherless or to the widows. In verse 21, he says, ye shall neither, Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Sometimes we need to be reminded that we need not vex anyone in this world because we were once as they are. We were strangers from the covenant of promise and strangers from God. And Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, strangers and aliens... 
having no hope and without God in the world. Let's look at this now. So we've seen in verses 1 through 3 <clears throat> the return and how it is to be about. It's repentance, confession, and to realize that there's no salvation apart from the Lord. Now look at verse 4. He says, and this is the glorious, the glories of redemption or the glorious redemption that they have. Verses 4 through 9, the, the rest of the chapter, the whole of the rest of the chapter. The Lord says, I will heal their backsliding. They've backslidden. They've gone away from God. I will love them freely. Mine anger is turned away from him. I will be as a dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. Let's stop with those three verses, even though we, the others much akin to it. Because, and it will continue with the blessings and fruitfulness of his people. But I want you to notice these things here. I will heal their backsliding. He'll forgive them of their sins. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away. Now, when God, when we come back to the Lord, we know that He is, brings and gives complete forgiveness. There's complete forgiveness with God. It's not a halfway forgiveness. It's a complete one. And not only that, He says, I will love them freely. The freeness of God's love and of God's grace. And then He says, for mine anger is turned away from Him. Why would God's anger be turned away? Because this is the way redemption is wrought for you and I in, in the Lord. God would be angry with us today apart from Christ suffering for our sins. Jesus bore the anger and the wrath of God upon sin. And you say, well, just how does that correspond with the Scripture that says, for God so loved the world? Yes, God so, so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So He loved the world so much that He gave His Son to redeem us because God uh, could not look upon our sins with favor and judgment would have to come upon sin in the sinner. So, it, God did love us. He loved us so much He provided for our redemption, but God's wrath has always been and God's judgment always been against sin. And if Jesus hadn't suffered for your sins and mine, we would have to suffer for them. If He hadn't paid the price, we'd have to pay the price with an eternity of separation from God. So we better realize how thankful we are or should realize how thankful we should be for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary because had He not suffered for our sins, you and I would not only suffer for them in this life, but throughout eternity. He says, for mine anger is turned away from Him. Now when this condition is met, Notice the perfect order. When God has healed our backsliding and loves us freely and His anger is turned away, we found redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Then what is He going to do? I will be as a dew unto Israel. Dew speaks of the freshness of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He shall grow as a lily, cast forth His roots as Lebanon. So first of all, after the first thing that happens after we're saved is what? God's blessings of His Holy Spirit. He says He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And once we've believed, let me give you the order of steps of salvation. I've given to you before, but if there are any steps at all to salvation, you'll find them in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And it says, In whom ye also trusted. 
Listen carefully. After that, you heard the word of truth. You heard the word, the gospel of your salvation. So you hear the gospel and you hear the word of truth in the gospel. And it becomes the gospel of your salvation. That word of truth is yours once you claim it. In whom also after that you believed or upon believing, not a long time after, but upon believing, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit. Here's the do unto Israel. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And the next verse says, which is the earnest of our inheritance. It's the guarantee of it, the down payment of it, the surety of it, until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. Under what? The praise of His glory. So you have the perfect order here. Salvation, look at verse 4 and 5. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away. Redemption has been accomplished. We have eternal redemption through His blood. I will be as a dew unto Israel. We'll be anointed with the Holy Spirit. We'll be, have the freshness of God's Spirit. And He shall grow as the lily and cast forth His roots as Lebanon. There will be fruitfulness in our lives as Christians. And this continues. This thought continues on down. Follow it on down. His branches shall spread and His beauty shall be as the olive tree and His smell as Lebanon. All these wonderful descriptions of the blessings that will be upon God's people. They that dwell, un- they that dwell under His shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn. Now look, they that dwell under His shadow shall return. They'll be an influence to others. Look at the influence that Israel will be to others. Now, we'll give you a prophetic application in just a moment. It says, They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. This condition shows us the millennial blessings of Israel in the future. Not only what they were in the past when they returned to God, historically, but prophetically what they will receive in the future when they repent and turn to God. He's going to restore all the blessings to His nation and people. And as far as a figure of it, it, these things apply to you and I when we meet these same conditions. So look at it historically. He did this for them in the Old Testament when they returned. Look at it prophetically. He's promised to do that again for Israel when they're they're brought out of their uh, blindness and returned to God. And we know that we study in the book of Revelation their return and every eye shall see Him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of Him. They shall look on Him whom they have pierced and uh, have taught you Revelation before. And we find that in the 20th chapter the millennial blessings will rest upon the nation and people and then all are redeemed of the first resurrection which will include all of this day and age of grace will be there in the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation. And we've taught that before. So, the blessings will be restore, of restored Israel. And this is what, is what will happen to them. Now then, I'm going to go ahead and read these next two verses. We'll expound them, but I want, when we get through with that, I want to give you some wonderful things about this whole book. The whole book of Hosea. It says, Ephraim shall say, What have I to do with any more with idols? There'll be a time they'll be sick of their idols. There was in the Old Testament. There certainly will be a time in the future. It says, I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree. It speaks of the fruitfulness and the freshness. From me is thy fruit found. Then it says, Who is wise and he shall understand these things? Prudent and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. And the just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. Israel had fallen in their sins and iniquities and transgressions. 
And the lesson is learned that we have here in the whole of this chapter. But I want to give you some things. First of all, and this will overlap some, there's two avenues that I want to approach. First of all, I want you to notice Israel's downfall. And I'll have to take you back and you look at these verses in the chapter and the verse that I give you. Their lack of knowledge, and that's chapter 4, verse 6. Just turn back to chapter 4 now, and verse 6. Their lack of knowledge. It says, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. So what, what was their downfall there in the book of Hosea? Their lack of knowledge. And let me give you the next one. The next verse you find is in chapter 5, verse 5. Pride. Their downfall. You know, we have a proverb that says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haunting spirit before fall. It says here in chapter 5, verse 5. Now mark these verses. If you don't have anything uh, to do, but just write down the verse itself. It says, And the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah also shall fall with them. Pride. So what was, number one was the lack of knowledge. Four, verse six. Number two, pride. Five, verse five. Number three, instability. Look at chapter six, verse four. Chapter six, verse four. Instability. He says in this verse, O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as the morning cloud, and as the early dew, it goeth away. Instability. The morning cloud, it comes and it goes. The dew. Beautiful on the grass and the flowers, the roses, early of a morning. The sun hits it, it's burned out, it goes away. And they were just that instable. They were just here for a moment and gone again. So, that's the next one. Now let me give you another one. And I believe if you'll have these things in mind, you'll get a grip on all of it we find here in the book of, of Hosea. Uh, the next thing is worldliness. Look at chapter 7, verse 8. 7, verse 8. Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned, not separated to God. Mixed himself with the people. This is worldliness. We're told to come out from them and be you separate, saith the Lord. Christians ought to be different. You know, it should be our prayer that God would help us to be a testimony just by our life. I remember one of our professors one time, Dr. Kemp, and uh, he said that when he'd walk in a barber shop, that everyone, he wouldn't even know them, know the people or anything. Everyone would say, are you a preacher? Are you Christian? You know, they'd at least know he was a Christian. But they'd ask if he was a preacher. Sometimes it can be detected without a word by their attitude, by the way they act. You go in there and they're gossiping. Men gossip too. Don't ever forget it. About everything and telling all kinds of tales. So you ladies in the beauty shop don't feel bad. And I've been there too. <laughs> Had to go in there a few times. But anyway, men are just as bad. So don't, don't ever think there's any difference. But when, isn't it a wonderful thing when you can walk in a place and a person can tell by your demeanor, by your kindness, by the way you act, that you must at least be a Christian, that you're trying to live a good life? And that's a wonderful thing. But here, Ephraim, 
He hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. A cake not turned. Isn't that a sad situation? You ever seen a pancake that you make and you put it in the skillet and, and you think that and you try to turn it over and it'd be half done on one, be burned on one side and half and raw on the other side? Maybe you turned it too quick and it's the same one way or the other. But a cake not turned. If you put that dough in the skillet and, and never turn it at all, what are you going to have? Brown on the bottom and doughy on the top. So anyway, mixed himself with the people. The next thing I want to give you and uh, is corruption. 9 verse 9. 9 verse 9. Look at it. They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. Now, they brought it on themselves. And I've given you in teaching this lesson, the days of Gibeah have to do with a very sinful time as far as the people were concerned. In the book of Judges 19, just read the whole 19th chapter of Judges. And this relates to the shocking rape and murder of the Levite's wife, one of God's servants' wives. And you'll see that. The next thing, so that's corruption. Backsliding, 11 verse 7. Look at 11, verse 7. And my people are bent to backsliding from me. They had a tendency to backslide from God. We're, we're showing why that their downfall. And then when I give you this last one, we want to approach it from another direction in just a moment. I'll give you some more things. But the, th- the next thing is idolatry. And you'll find that in 13, verse 2. 13, 2, idolatry. And I'll repeat these in just a moment. It says, And now they sin more and more, and have made them molten images of their silver and idols, according to their own understanding, all of it the work of the craftsmen. They say of them, Let the men that sacrifice kiss the calves. Sin more and more, molten images, idols, and worshiping the calves, the golden calves that they had set up. Now look, let me repeat these. Israel's downfall. Lack of knowledge, 4-6. Pride, 5-5. Five, five. Instability, 6-4. Worldliness, 7-8. Corruption, 9-9. Nine, nine. Backsliding, 11-7. And idolatry, 13-2. And those are seven, seven things about Israel's backsliding and about their downfall. Now then, I want to give you four things of this whole book. And these are very important things. Four things. First of all, the shame of sin. Let me just make a statement here because most of us have studied from the first chapter. And we know that the shame of sin and seat is seen all throughout the book, but especially in the first part where uh, Hosea was told to marry a woman that was an adulterous woman and so on, go back and claim his wife that had gone into adultery. So what we see in the shame of sin is that it's worse to depart from God than an unchaste and unfaithful wife. In fact, that's a statement you might remember. It's worse to depart from God than an unchaste and unfaithful wife. So we can see throughout the book, without any reference at all, just studying the whole book, we could read this book and not fail to see the shame of sin. So we'll just give you that as a general thing. But then the next ones I'll give you a reference to. The second thing about... This book is the fruit of backsliding. Chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Now, let's glance back there. I'm going to give you four things. Chapter 2, verses 4 four through 8. Well, 6 through 8 will be enough because it just takes too much time to expound all of it. Let's go 6 through 8. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns. We've given you this before. And make a wall 
and she shall not that she shall not find her paths, and she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. She shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better with me than now. And I gave you these before. In this passage you'll have affliction. I will hedge up thy way with thorns. You have difficulty. I'll make a wall. You know, it's pretty hard to go through a wall, isn't it? And then, that she shall not find her paths. That's perplexity. You can't find where you're going. Perplexity. Affliction, difficulty, perplexity. And then failure. She shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. She fails to overtake her lovers of idols and pleasures or whatever. And then it, and then she, it says here, there's two things there. Failure and disappointment. She shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but she'll not find them. That's disappointment. So you have affliction, difficulty, perplexity, failure, and disappointment. And then there's repentance. Thank God that this is in the last part of the verse. Then shall she say, look at repentance. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better with me than now. So that's the second thing we find in this book. There are four things. Now I'll give you the, I'll go again and give you another reference. Then the love of God, chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. The love of God. Now, what I've given you is the shame of sin, the fruit of backsliding. Now, the love of God in chapter 11. Most of you were here when we expounded this in verse, and I won't have time to to expound all of it again, but I'll point out verse 3 and 4, how God's, well, God's love, He called Him in verse 1. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. This is God's love. Verse 3 says, I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, as a parent would take a child under their arms to help them to learn to walk. And they knew not that I healed them. Healed. So called in verse 1, taught in verse 3, healed in verse 3. Verse 4, I drew them with the cords of a man, drew them, with bands of love. His love is coming through it all. And I... And I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. And I gave you these six things. Drew them with bands of love. Take off the yoke off their jaws. That's the fifth thing. And I laid meat unto them. That's uh, the last thing in these two these verses. And then on down to show the love of God again. In verse 8, look here. You have a fourfold expression of God's love. You still have chapter 11, verse 8 now. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? God says, how am I going to give you up? It'd be like you and I looking to our child and say, how shall I give you up? How can a parent give up a child? It's a pretty hard thing to do, isn't it? Then the next thing, the next how, there are four hows. How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How am I, what am I going to do with you? How am I going to bring you back? How am I going to deliver you? And then the next one. How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboam? Remember, those were two other cities of the plain that were destroyed in the days of uh, the destruction of Sodom. You have these mentioned. And then the last thought is how... Uh, well, there's four hows there. How shall I give thee up? That's one. How shall I deliver thee? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboam? Zeboam. So the last two show God's love. Now the last point of our message, and I know I'm hurrying along, but I want to give you all of us. The condition of restoration. Now let me repeat what we found in this book so far. The shame of sin, all that, that's very evident. Worse to depart from God than an unchaste, unfaithful wife. The fruit of backsliding, we gave you that, where there was affliction and a wall and thorns and so on. 
The love of God, and that's what we just touched on. The fruit of backsliding was chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. And you can read the whole. We picked up with verse 6, but it's all there. The love of God, 11, verse 1 through 8. And the last thing, the condition of restoration. And that's chapter 14. What we have just expounded, how that God told them to repent. The condition of restoration was what? Returning to God, repenting. That's chapter 14. We just had it in our lesson tonight. The condition of, of restoration. Return, repent, confess. You know, I remember one time when I was pastoring the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, and don't let, don't ever think I'm saying anything to try to bolster anything. I just want to relate. Please just let me relate a situation where the salvation of a family was involved. This Sunday morning in Mount Pleasant, Texas, a family that we'd been visiting, their name was Love. Their last name was Love. And she had two little twin boys. I think you heard me tell the story about them burning up the $20 bills one time, didn't you? I don't know if I... Well, anyway, I, I'll get into that story another time. And the mother was just bawling and crying, wanting me to know, wanting to know what to do. But anyway, that's another point. But I got her to come to church that morning with the little boys. And they were rowdy as always. But uh, in fact, when I was preaching, sometimes they'd come plumb up the pulpit and they wanted to grab me by each leg. And I couldn't hardly move. Little video, guys, about like chance. Anyway, that's another story. But I could tell you a lot of them. But anyway, this woman was saved that morning. And her husband wouldn't come with her. So, uh, that afternoon, I had all the church praying that that night her husband would come. That he'd be saved. And uh, sure enough, everyone was praying. And I don't know why I think the devil was fighting it. I had a terrible earache and I could hardly prepare my sermon. I mean, I was hurting all afternoon, but I was determined to preach that night. So anyway, we got, got her husband out, the whole family out that night. And I preached on these four points I just gave you. The shame of sin, the fruit of backsliding, the love of God, and the last point, the condition of restoration. And just when we gave that invitation... Her husband couldn't wait to just step down that aisle and accept the Lord. And so both, they were both saved and baptized. We were so thankful for that. But I preached a sermon on the whole book of Hosea. You can see why I did, because those four points I just pointed out in the book of Hosea. And uh, anyway, God blessed it and he was saved. I'll end up with that little story about those two little boys, because I think you've got them on. Anyway, one day she called after that. And these two little twin boys had gone in. They had this bathroom, this propane little wall heater in the bathroom. And, uh, or butane, whatever it was. Those little open face bathroom heaters. Some of you have seen them, I'm sure. And anyway, the boys got hold. She, she had took all their money that was allowed for her groceries and everything that they were to do. And maybe some bills. Anyway, this... These $20 bills, she had five $20 bills. One of them was saved from the fire. But these little boys got in there and they stuck those in the fire. And of four of them, there was nothing left but ashes and little bitty corners and stuff. And she was just crying and crying and said, what is the world she going to do? And they were just really, he worked hard. He worked for a dairy and they were just barely making it. In fact, when we went to see them, well, it's just uh, something else to behold, but... To try to shorten the story, she didn't know what to do. And I said, I told her, I said, Ms. Love, I said, you gather up all those ashes and all those little pieces and take them down to the bank 
and show them. And they put together, they knit together enough little corners and places and they said they'd send them off. And they sent them off and they got her, got her money back for her. Because, it, you know, uh, they had enough evidence that they were actually $20 bills. But that's amazing. But uh, if you got little pieces of it, you know, if you got enough evidence, well, I think, and I don't know what they had to do to go through it, but they got, got her money back. And she was a thrilled little lady, I'll tell you for sure. But to show you how thankful people were, we went to see them later on. And the song leader and I visited with her. And he was working for the milk company. And they had gotten enough money to pay their bills and buy their groceries. And they lived in just a little bitty old apartment. But they were happy as they could be because it's the first time they could pay their, all their bills and have enough money left over for food and, and, and everything they need. And what a lesson I learned from that is that how little it takes to make some people happy and how much it takes to make others happy. If we have each other, they had each other, they had their family, and they loved each other, they loved the church. And, you know, we ought to learn... The Bible says, Paul says, I've learned whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. And having food and raiment, food and raiment, therewith to be content. So I've kept you long. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed.